I started walking with Christ in March of 2007. I gave my life to Christ 51 years ago at the age of four, and I rededicated my life on December 4th, 1988. I became a Christ follower when I was five years old. I have been at New Life since 1992. Since August of last year. I have been at New Life since March of 2007. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up as a Lutheran. I grew up in a fun and loving spiritual Baptist uh, background. My biggest challenge in walking with Christ is to stay sexually pure. My biggest challenge in my walk with Christ is maintaining a daily Bible study. My biggest challenge uh, with my walk with Christ is trying to motivate others to come to the Lord. I am everybody. I am everybody. I am everybody. All right, well, as you're making your way back to your seats, if you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, I'd invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, verses 12 to the end of the chapter, continuing our study on uh, 1 Corinthians called Everybody. And uh, if uh, you don't have a Bible with you this morning, and even if you do, you may want to reach in your celebration folder and pull out uh, this white uh, message notes, it's got the passage in its entirety that we're going to look at, as well as some other verses that we'll allude to, and some white spaces that you can use to fill in some blanks if you care to do so. This passage today deals with sex. I sort of figured that would be the only introduction I needed. That would just hook you right there, you know. Um, I'll also tell you that because if you have... Uh, your small children with you today, hey, maybe this is a great time to check out that children's ministry. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we have pictures or live demonstrations or anything, but, you know, it's a frank subject. Paul deals with it in a frank way, and we're going to do the same thing. So, all right, I've got myself in enough trouble. Let's jump into the passage here. First Corinthians. It's bad in the first minute when you've already, you know, gotten in trouble. So usually I wait till much later. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It says this. Follow along with me. It says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is, and you may want to circle that word, beneficial. Then he repeats himself. Everything is permissible for me. But I will not be, and again, you may want to circle this word, I will not be mastered by anything. You know, often the way that we approach our Christianity is to kind of think, how much sinning can I do, can I get away with, and still be a Christian? And Paul sort of establishes right off that that's not the point. That we are free in Christ. That our faith rests on what Jesus did, not what we do. And so Paul's emphasis here isn't about how much we can get away with. In fact, he says everything is permissible. But rather, he says, there's these two aspects that we should consider when we're deciding what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. These two tests. Number one, is it beneficial? Will it benefit me? to do this or not and secondly does it have the potential of mastering me could this get control of me these two tests and so let me ask you right here right off the top 
How do you approach your Christian walk? The decisions you make about what you're going to do and not going to do. The practices, the habits that you're going to engage in. There's a story about um, when they were uh, interviewing drivers for the Queen's coach, her horse-drawn carriage. They had three drivers they were interviewing, and they said, as you're going up a mountain road here, these mountain roads, how close to the edge do you think you could get? The first driver says, I think I could get the carriage within a foot of the edge. Second driver said, I think I could get the carriage within six inches of the edge. And the third driver said, you know, with the queen as my car go, I'm going to stay as far away from that edge as possible. And the rumor is that's the guy that got the job right there. How do you approach your Christian life? See, when we're facing decisions about what we're going to do, what we're not going to do, I think these two questions are good. Will it be, is it beneficial? Will it benefit me? And secondly, does it have the potential of mastering me? And so let me kind of help you think through that process this morning by dealing with a a couple of hot potato issues. And again, even in doing this, my point is not to tell you what you should do. You have to make up your own mind. You have to make your own determinations. But I kind of want to walk through the process to kind of help you with this. Does that make sense? You understand? Yes? Okay, good. Thank you. I, I need that feedback. I'm very insecure. I need that. So here, let me start with this one. What about cussing? Can a Christian cuss? Well, I know a lot who do. So obviously the answer is yes. You can cuss. We're free. Everything is permissible. But here's kind of the position I've taken on this for me personally. I'm not saying this should be your position. This should be what you should do. But for me, I kind of ran it through that is it beneficial test. And, you know, I've decided I'm in my 50s now. I don't need to impress people. You know, the boys don't get that impressed by what I say. There are other words I can use. So I've decided for me, you know, that in some ways it's harmful even. You know, I've never seen anybody be drawn to Christ by by using cuss words. So I've decided for me, my position is I'm I'm just going to choose not to cuss. Now, that's not to say I've never cussed. That's not to say sometimes I don't cuss. But in as much as I have the choice, I've chosen that it wouldn't be beneficial to cuss. You know, in, in Houston, we had a platform like this that, that we used to speak on, only it was a lot higher. And I used to get right out here to the edge. And a couple of times, I almost fell off. And I used to always pray, God, if I ever fall off, please don't let me say anything that I'll be sorry for later. <laughs> but that's the choice I've made for me. As far as cussing. Here's another one. How about drinking alcohol? Now, I think clearly the biblical standard is drunkenness. That what God says is, we shall not get drunk. God says that's, that's too far. So, can a Christian drink alcohol this side of getting drunk? And still be okay? Sure, absolutely. And, and clearly, I know lots of Christians who drink and who drink responsibly. So sure, we're free. Everything is permissible. But here's the position I've taken for me. Again, this is not at all saying this should be your stance or your position. But for me, this was a good one to run through that. Does it have the potential of mastering me? And I've just always been afraid of the addiction factor 
Uh, not to say that if you drink alcohol, you'll become addicted, but I have known enough people, I've worked enough peop- with people who struggled with the addiction of that, and truthfully, that's always scared me. So I've chosen my position to not drink alcohol at all. The only alcohol I've ever drank, and you know, I was in college, somebody offered me a beer one time, and I thought, well, what the heck, I ought to see what I, what I think. So I tasted, it was the nastiest tasting stuff I'd ever had. And my friend said to me, it's an acquired taste. And I thought, well, why do I want to acquire this taste? I don't, I don't get it. Now, again, I'm not saying that should be your position, but to me, that aspect of the potential of being mastered caused me to decide that that would be my position. I think you need to at least be wary of that. In Proverbs chapter 23, Verses 31 and 32, the writer of Proverbs addresses it this way. He says, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a, vapor, like a viper. Here's what, what the writer of this Proverbs is saying, is that there's the potential of danger with alcohol because of this, this mastering, potentially mastering aspect. So, You just need to consider that. You need to be wise about that. I mean, I think you can apply these same things to all sorts of other areas, all sorts of other issues. You know, smoking, for instance. Uh, Can a Christian smoke? Sure they can. We're free. Uh, All things are permissible. I remember when I was in high school, I worked at Burger King, and I was the only person, the only employee in the whole restaurant who didn't smoke. And I remember really wrestling with maybe i should smoke because you know we would go on break and everybody would smoke and i'd just stand there you know (laughs) i didn't like being the odd guy out but but i remember even as an 18 year old wrestling with you know i mean i'd seen my parents who both smoked at the time i'd seen how they had struggled to quit and i i was just afraid that if i ever got started i wouldn't be able to quit and i chose i mean i didn't think of it in terms of first corinthians 6 but that's that fear of being mastered by this caused me to determine not to. So again, here the point is we're free. You get that, right? We're free. But I think what Paul's encouraging us to do is to be aware of our choices. He's encouraging us to approach life proactively rather than reactively. Okay, back to the context, which is sex, which, by the way, has an addictive nature too. Isn't that right? I mean, watch the news, the whole Tiger Woods, the whole Jesse James thing. It has an addictive nature, too. Well, Paul goes on, verse 13. He said, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. He's just quoting a an ancient proverb that they would have been all familiar with, that, you know, food goes for the stomach, you know, that, that whole deal there. And, and, he, and he's trying to just make the point that God cares about our bodies too. Verse 15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one, but he who unites himself with the Lord 
is one with him in spirit. Now, to understand what Paul's saying here, you have to understand the context. We've talked about this, but in Corinth, there was a temple there to the goddess Aphrodite. And it is reported that they had at this temple over a thousand prostitutes. And the way that you worshipped Aphrodite is you would have sex with these prostitutes. It was a very popular religion there in Corinth. But the problem was that these Corinthian Christians had reasoned that it would be okay for them to join in this practice too. And their reasoning went something kind of like this. Well, being a Christian is a spirit issue. See, they had given God their soul, but having sex with these prostitutes, well, that would just be engaging their bodies. See, they sort of thought, well, being a Christ follower, that's a spiritual issue, and this is just a physical thing. You know, kind of like I eat when I get hungry or I drink when I get thirsty. So, They were just satisfying a physical need, so it would be okay. Now, I think it's amazing how good we are at playing these ridiculous word games to justify disobeying God when we want to. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, we we, kind of come up with these arguments and we say it enough in our mind that it makes sense. It doesn't really make sense. There's a feature that I love on ESPN that they, that they do where they'll show, the, several commentators, they'll show these things, you know, these things that athletes are doing or that they said, and then they all go, come on, man. You know, who are you really trying to kid? And I really think that's what Paul is trying to say to them here. He's saying, come on, man. You know that doesn't make any sense. Now, I'm glad that we're nothing like these Corinthians, aren't you? I mean, we would never come up with these little word games to kind of justify our things. I mean, come on, we do it all the time. I can't, it's hard for me to even remember how many couples I've dealt with who are living together, not married, and and had them say to me things like, well, we're married in God's eyes. And I think, really? Come on, man. <laughs> Had one couple, they said to me, well, we were just praying one day, and when, when we finished, God just told us we were married. And I said, really? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> we all do this. We all do it. You know, we justify and we rationalize and we, you know, we, we kind of say, I, I know this is God's standards. I know God says to forgive, but, you know, my situation's a little different. So it's okay for me to keep holding on to that grudge a little bit. You know, I know what God says about lusting, but, you know, it's okay for me to just do it. I know this is what God says in this area, but, you know, because of this in my life or because of this, it's okay to just kind of keep dipping my toes into that. And I think the same thing applies. Come on, man. 
You know, there's a phrase that you see several times as you read throughout the New Testament. It's this phrase, do not be deceived. And I think the reason why the Holy Spirit gives that so often is because we are just so good at deceiving ourselves, aren't we? You know, we justify, we rationalize it, we work it around in our head enough that it starts to make sense to us. And that's why you need people in your life who are close. That's why you need to be in a small group if you're not in a small group. You need people who know you well enough that when you start down these trails, they can look you in the eye and with love say to you, come on, man, you know that's not what God wants you to do. See, I, I think the bigger issue that was going on here with these Corinthians in the first century and with Christians today in 2010 is this issue of compartmentalizing. See, we kind of say, okay, well, God has these areas of my life, but this over here, well, this is just my body. You know, this is just something else. See, I've given God all of this, and and God's in full play in here, but these are just different, and we compartmentalize. I kind of picture it like this. I brought these boxes along to kind of help me illustrate this. I think here's what we do. I think we break our life up into little boxes. And what we do is we give God a box. And we kind of sit back and we say, look, God, I gave you a big box. You know? I mean, you're an important part of my life. I love you. Here, I give you this big box. But then we have other boxes. So, like, here's our family. Well, and how we are with our family, that's, that's different because, you know, I mean, I might behave this way in church or I might behave this way in this kind of thing. But with my family, it's different. It's, it's a different box. And we take, well... You know, I got a job, so the way that I am at work, you know, that's, that's, that's another box. And then school, well, that's another box. And, and then the way I am socially, that's a, another box. And we think, see, my life's broken up into these little boxes. And, and, and God gets this big box, but he's not in these other boxes and i think the message is this god doesn't want a big box here's what god wants god wants to be the box that all the other boxes fit inside see that whether we're talking about school our work or our social life or how we are with our family it all fits in the God box. See, he wants it all. He doesn't want a slice of the pie. He wants to be mixed throughout the entire pie. No more compartmentalizing. No more boxes. So Paul goes on and he says, verse 18, So flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins that a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. 
You were bought at a price. And so therefore, honor God with your body. You see, Paul's making the point that we have to realize that sex is a very powerful thing. And that's why he says it's ludicrous to think that we can have sex with someone and it just be a physical thing. That's a message that they needed to hear in the first century. And it's a message we need to hear in the 21st century, isn't it? That you can't have sex with someone and it not impact your soul. He says in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. He's making a reference to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where God says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You see, God designed sex to be powerful. God designed sex to be the thing that would bond a husband and wife together. See, sex was God's idea. You know that, don't you? And so doesn't it just make sense to listen to God about how to use and benefit from this very powerful thing that He created? See, the problem is we come along and we've done this as a society and many of us have done this personally and we've thought, you know, but God doesn't know what he's talking I know better what's good for me here than God does. And so we've disregarded God and his ways. We've viewed sex casually or just as something that's physical We've underestimated its power. And as a result, as a society, we've suffered brokenness and broken homes and broken lives and addiction. People who at one time thought they controlled these urges and now find these urges control them. And don't you think it's about time that we came around to saying, God, you're right in this area. It's interesting, I I read something just recently about Bristol Palin. Bristol Palin, the daughter of Sarah Palin, the formal vice presidential candidate. Bristol Palin, who uh, got pregnant, not married, she had said earlier that she thought it was unrealistic for teenagers to not be involved sexually. But she's saying now, now that she's lived with the results of that, being a single mom, trying to work and raise a child and go to college and all those things. She says now, you know, that she thinks that maybe God's standards on this are really what's best. See, sex is a powerful thing. In fact, Paul's advice for when we face sexual temptation, look back to verse 18, what he says. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Don't toy with it. Don't consider it. Don't hang around with it. Don't pray about it. Don't make allowances for it. Don't put yourself in potentially compromising situations about it. In fact, our kids used to say to us, well, don't you trust us? And we would say, no. 
<laughs> because we don't trust ourselves to put ourselves into those potentially compromising ways, those potential situations. See, if we're going to really make this Christian walk work, we have got to get our minds around the concept that God's ways are always best. That God's commands, all of them, are always about more what God wants for us than what He wants from us. That sex was God's idea and His ways are always best. But you know, even as I say that, I'm, I'm aware that in a crowd this size, that there's a strong chance that there's some of us right here this morning who are involved in an affair. There's some of us that are contemplating cheating on our husband or our wife right now. There's some of us that are involved sexually with someone who isn't our husband or our wife, that we're involved in some area that's not within God's sexual standards, even as Christians. Paul was writing to Christians here. I had a friend who, about my age, single, went um, a Christian organization, met a girl. They decided he asked her out. They went to a Clippers game. Uh, after the game was over, they both had driven there. He was walking her to her car, and she said to him, you know, I really like sex. And he said, well, I do too. It's a good thing. God designed it, you know. And if, if uh, I get remarried, you know, I'm looking forward to that part of it. And she said, no, I, I really like it now. And he said, you know, I, I think this is it. I think this was our only date right here. See? See, Paul says to flee. We live in a sexually saturated culture. And Paul's word is to flee, stop. Get out of it. Listen to God. Repent. Maybe some of us need to tell somebody what's going on so that they'll help hold us accountability. Some of us maybe need to make a phone call before we even get out of the parking lot. We need to call somebody and say, it is over. I heard God's voice today. I've been disobedient to Him in this area, and I don't even want to take the chance that I'm going to rationalize my way out of not doing this. It's over. I don't want to see you anymore. You know, I, here's just a little aside. I, I think part of the reason why as Christians even we struggle so much in this area is because of what we fill our minds with. You know, the TV shows that we watch, the, the, the movies that we go to, the songs that we listen to, that over and over and over give this message that disobeying God in this area is what will bring happiness, is what will bring fulfillment. You know, I remember our kids used to say, well, because they were about a movie or something, and we were kind of talking about it, and it was some of their friends, they said, well, you don't see anything. And, and we would always say, why is that the standard? What you see you know, it's the message that that show's giving. It's the, it, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the world view that that song is putting out, especially about disobeying God's ways sexually. 
Listen to what Paul says in another passage. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Could it be that some of us have let our minds be taken captive because of what we keep feeding into it? See, a song's just a philosophy put to words, isn't it? TV shows presenting a worldview. I'm I'm not saying we have to quit listening to the radio. I'm not saying we have to you know, throw our TVs out. I mean, at this point in my life, I think I'd rather keep the TV than one of the children. I don't know. I mean, it goes back and forth. Depends upon the day. But come on, let's just... We can't just fill our minds with this over all day long, constantly, 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 and then we face potentially temptation, sexual temptation, and we wonder why it's so hard for us. You know, come on, man! We know better. We ought to know better. But we get deceived, don't we? Well, here's the conclusion of these verses. I read it just a minute ago. About partway through verse 19, Paul says, You're not your own. You're bought at a price. And so therefore, here's his point, honor God with your body. See, the point of this passage isn't don't have sex. The point of this passage is give your body to God. All of you. 100% of you. Make up your mind to do it God's way in every area of your life. Stop giving God a box. Let Him have everything. Because Paul says we're blood-bought people. So we need to honor God with all of us, with all of ourselves, with our entire body, everything about us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this in another section. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. You see, worship isn't just what happens in this room on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. Worship isn't just what happens when you pray or when you sing songs to God, either by yourself or in your small group. It's the offering that you give to God. And God doesn't just want your envelope at the end of the service. The offering that He really wants is the one that's all of you. 100% of you. Everything. So honor God with your body. Honor Him with everything that's you. Well, what's the response to a message like this? Well, it's probably as varied as there are the numbers of us in here. I don't know what the response is for any of us. 
But I think God wants us to take His Word seriously. I think He wants us to obey it totally. So for some of us, the response might be repentance. For some of us, it might be surrender. For some of us, it might be relinquishing something. For some of us, it might be telling God, God, I confess to you that I've given you a box and now I want to put it all in your box. You're the box that everything else fits inside. God, I make that commitment to you today. For some of us, it might be making that phone call, breaking something off. For some of us, it might be telling somebody, listen, I need you to, I need to tell you some stuff because I need you to help me be obedient to God in this area. You know, I've been flirting at work and I know I've crossed the line and I know where it's going and I need you to know that so you can help me break that off. So I don't know what the response to you is. I just know this. We're going to sing a song and I want to invite you to do business with God, whatever that means. For some of us, it might be that you've never taken that first step of being a blood-bought person. You know, you've been coming to church. Maybe you've been trying to be good. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus died on a cross for you. And He shed His blood to pay for your sin so that you could be right with God. And maybe the thing you need to do this morning is you just need to come to someone. Maybe you just, in this time, to say to God, God, I, I don't know that I understand it all, but I get that you died on the cross for me, Jesus. I get that that was to pay for my sin. And so I just received that. I ask you to come into my life to take over. I'm, I'm giving it all to you this morning. Maybe that's the response of some of us this morning. So as we sing, we're going to sing a song about surrender, about giving God our hearts, giving God our all. You just do business with God. Maybe that's here at the altar. You feel that freedom. Maybe it's there in your seat. Maybe you need to leave and make that phone call or go to somebody else even before we finish singing. You, you do that. Because that's what business with God means for you. I mean, if you need somebody to pray with you about this and you know someone who would, you turn to them right now. I mean, don't even wait. Don't even wait till we finish singing. If you, you don't know who that person is, come to me. I would love to pray with you. If there's, other, if there's more than one of you, there's lots of people in this room who would love to pray with you. Not to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not what this is about. It's about giving it all to God. Do, do you get that? You're blood-bought people if you're in Christ today. And He wants your all. And so if there's anything that's not that way, man, let's do it. Let's make it right. Why don't I pray for us? God, speak to us now. And Lord, I pray that the message that we'll get through is not rules, it's not restrictions. It's about giving it all to you. Whatever that looks like for me. It's not about what it ought to look like for somebody else. It's about what it might needs to look like for me. And so give us the courage in this time to just, to just do that. We pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.